You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. So let's do first things first. Who pulled the fire alarm? Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Which one of y'all did it? Where was it? It's one of these, this front row right here, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, hey, glad y'all are here. Um, yeah, we've never had that happen before. Not real sure what went on, but there's a lot of things that haven't gone well this morning. So what that tells me is that this is going to be really good today, and God's got a lot in, lot in store. So um, we are excited that you're here. I want to say welcome back to all our college students. We're glad you're here. Let's let welcome them back. Glad you're here. We miss you guys when you're gone. You bring so much energy and life and, and are, so many of you are so faithful to God and to, to this church and we appreciate you and are extremely excited that you are back. Um, we're actually wrapping up this week um, a series called Framework. Next week we're kicking off a new series called All In and uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be looking at like when we are a follower of Christ, how we um, are all in with Jesus but we're also all in with the church and what that looks like to be a community um, this All In for Christ. So it's going to be an awesome series. Looking forward forward to that. Um, today, the framework series that we're wrapping up is uh, about how Jesus, it's like we sang in that song, Cornerstone, how Jesus is the only foundation we can build our life upon, and that the gospel is the framework upon which we build our life with. And so we've been looking at this and looked at several different um, ways that that applies to our life. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, you can look at it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. You can stop by our guest services table and we would gladly give you a Bible um, today. And so Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at how God takes people and puts them together to fulfill his purposes and to do his work. So let's look at Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 through 4. It says, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, he's also called Nathaniel, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity we have today to be in your presence. Thank you for the, the faithfulness that um, God is your character. God, that when we gather in your name and your purposes, you are here. So God, we ask you today to do a great work in our hearts. Jesus, send your spirit here, uh, God, to, to work among us and to give us hearts that are for you and for one another. God, connect us to you, connect us to each other, that we can do all that you've created us to do, that we can make uh, an impact on this community, that we can make an impact on this country, and that we can make an impact on the world. God, send us out as people who are set on fire by your spirit and for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to do a quick poll of the congregation here. How many of you like to shop? How many shoppers we got? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Raise your hand. See, a few guys with your hands up. A few guys got your hands up. And it, it, it's okay. We won't look down on you much. Um, so anyway, uh, but there are some guys that like to shop. Uh, how many of you girls, you like to shop for shoes? You like shoes? Can't have enough shoes, right? Yep, yep. And so there's certain things people like to shop for. Um, I am not a shopper. Okay, I do not like to shop. Um, I don't know many guys who do like to shop. Uh, I would not consider Lowe's shopping because that is me doing my man thing so that I can take care of the house, right? Because that's what men do. 
Um, I don't consider Bass Pro Shop, Cabela's, um, uh, any of those, those, that is not shopping because that is me equipping myself to provide for my family, to put meat on the table. Because that's what men do, right men? Urgh. Amen. Urgh. I feel a lot of testosterone in the room right now. Bass Pro Shop, Cabela's, Gander Mountain. Y'all should have amen that or something, grunted. But yeah, so, so I, I'm not really a big shopper, I don't, especially for clothes. I do not, this is how I shop for clothes. When my jeans disintegrate, I go buy a new pair. And, and when I go get them, I do this. I get to the store, I walk in the store, I know what size I wear, I buy, I get them, and then I walk out, right? I seldom ever, you know, just, just spend time shopping. And I certainly don't go shopping just to look. I don't know, girls, I do not understand that. Just go look and just look. That, you might as well just stick bamboo under my fingernails. I, I just don't. I do not want to do that. And the thing, the thing I can tell you, though, is we were on vacation this year. We go down to St. Augustine every summer. Um, and on the way back, we stopped. If you've been to St. Augustine, you know there's a huge um, outlet mall right outside of St. Augustine. And we stopped and went in uh, to Old Navy. And when I walked into Old Navy, uh, I realized that they were having a great sale. I feel so feminine saying that. I, honestly, I swear I do. But they were having this sale, and they actually had shirts, like um, the polo-type shirts, uh, knit shirts, on sale for $5. $5. And see, here's the thing. I don't get excited about shopping, but I do get excited about saving money. And so when I saw these $5 shirts, I was like, I got to get some of them. And so um, I, I'm running around. I bought these jeans. These jeans right here, $15. You can't beat that. That is a good buy. And so I'm going around and I never shop and, and I'm just stacking clothes up. And the lady, I was actually trying on clothes. I'm going back and forth. She's like, um, sir, is there anything wrong with those? Would you like to put those back? I was like, nope, they'll do. I was looking around for shirts. I was like, $5 shirts. I was like, don't really like that color. That's all right. $5 is going home with me. And so I'm, I'm just getting stuff left and right. Whatever they had left over, I'm buying them out right? Um, Susan, my wife, she, she looks at me. I've just got an armload of clothes, literally clothes stacked up from here to here. And I'm walking around. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I am getting all the clothes I'm going to need until the year 2020. That's what I'm doing. And so I'm just buying stuff left and right, uh, you know, just pulling it off the shelves. And, and we get out of there. I bought $700 worth of clothes for 180 bucks. Bam. You know what I'm saying? It's awesome. I don't know that I, I may never buy clothes again. You know what I mean? Because I wear jeans until you just bend over and they go, you know, and rip. And so I might not ever need clothes again. But Susan was like, that's so out of character for you. I was like, I know. I don't know what's happening to me. But I kind of went crazy up in Old Navy down there. So I bought a bunch of clothes and stuff. And, and it was, it was extremely out of character for me. But I was motivated by the sale. And I was thinking about these guys, these men we just read about that Jesus called to himself to go out and do his work and, and to, to take these ordinary unspectacular men and change the world forever and begin to change people's eternities forever. And, and to see these different men, as we're going to look at them in just a minute, and see their different qualities and attributes and characteristics, it's amazing that God used them. And the way God used them and the way they came together and the way they eventually would lay their selfishness to the side and the way they would eventually become kingdom-minded for the kingdom of God, not their own kingdom, was extremely out of character for them. These men were selfish. There was nothing spectacular about it. In fact, in the book of Acts, um, what you see is when they're doing some of these things, some of the people actually remark, these are uneducated, ordinary men. The word for uneducated is idiotes. What do you think we got from idiotes? Idiot. And so in other words, the people around them said, these people are idiots, but they've been with Jesus. And there was a power that came from them that was beginning to change the world. And so what we see here is God taking un, 
remarkable, very ordinary people and using them in extraordinary ways. That should be an encouragement to you and I, because most likely we are somewhat ordinary, somewhat unextraordinary. But the good news today is that you have a God who is full of power. who wants to use you to do extraordinary things. And see, for you coming back into town, a lot of us have settled back in from summer, um, families, and then come back to church. A lot of the students, you've, you've come back and you've settled in for the semester. And this is the thing I, I want to encourage you with, that God has a plan to use you while you're here. He doesn't want you just to, to go through the semester, but he wants to use you to impact the lives of other people. And you may not think that you have anything remarkable about you. There may not be anything that other people take notice of that seems to be remarkable. But here's the truth of the scripture. God sees you as valuable. God wants to use you and God has a plan that if we'll step into it, he'll use us in ways that are far beyond what we ever thought or imagined. It's what God does. And God desires to do that with you. I want us to look at this because I want us to see this too. I want us to see that this is a gospel community for everybody in here who is a believer in Christ. I want you to see that God's brought us together for a purpose. He's brought us together to minister this community. He's brought us together to reach those who are far from God. He's brought us together for a reason. And I want you to see that he takes people who are on polar opposite ends of the spectrum and brings them together to do great things, just like he did with these men. So I want to briefly look at these guys. I want you to see how different they were. I want you to see how they could have even um, wanted to kill each other at times, but how they came together for a bigger and greater purpose and how God used them. So let's start with the first one they mentioned, um, Peter. Um, Most of us, if we've been in church, we've heard messages about Peter and we've heard people talk about Peter. And we know that Peter um, was a little bit uh, of one who would get himself in trouble, right? Um, He was known to be eager. He was very brash. He was impulsive. He was aggressive. He was bold. um, He was outspoken, but he also became a great evangelist and a great preacher. So God took those characteristics that earlier in his life were not great and he used them to begin to make him a great evangelist who in one message would see 3,000 people come to know Christ. Haven't had that happen yet, right? But it'd be awesome if it did. And so we see him using Peter, but Peter was, he was far from perfect. If you look at John uh, chapter 18, verse 10, it's when they come into the garden and they arrest Jesus. And the Bible says this, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Like Peter was like, ah, this ain't happening, right? And then he swings, he wasn't going for the ear, he was going for the head. He just turned his head, he whacked off his ear. And so Peter jumping out, you know, and just going like, I'll take care of this, you know, kind of sticking his foot in his mouth and wanting to cut people's ears off and stuff, kind of crazy. And then Jesus just reached down, pick up his ear. He's like, okay, it's better now. You know, Peter had to feel stupid, right? Peter did a lot of things that at, at the afterwards looked stupid. Like in Matthew 14, when he walked on water, right? He sees Jesus he's like, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Peter jumps out and he starts walking on water. And we can say Peter was an idiot, but how many of us have ever walked on water, right? Nobody. And, and so here's the thing. We, we see Peter was this bold guy going after um, Jesus, uh, but, but oftentimes acting before he thought. Um, he ended up being crucified in Rome upside down because of his love for the gospel, his love for God, and his, his, his boldness in going and proclaiming it. Um, Andrew. Andrew was Peter's brother. Andrew was the opposite of Peter. Andrew was one that wanted to bring people individually to Jesus. We see him doing things behind the scenes. He would have been the one who was willing to do anything behind the scenes, but he probably would have passed out if he had gotten him in front of a bunch of people. He was bringing people individually. In fact, he brought Peter, his brother, to him. He was okay being in the shadows. And we see that Andrew was the one who wanted to bring the individual to Christ. 
when, when the, the, the people needed something to eat um, and, and everybody was trying to figure out how are we going to feed them. It was Andrew that brought the, the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus and Jesus multiplied it. He understood the value of just doing the small faithful thing because Jesus can take that small faithful thing and use it extraordinarily to change people's lives and to change the world. How about James? This guy's a character. Um, his nickname was one of, he was one of the sons of thunder. He was zealous. He was thunderous. He was passionate. He was fervent. He was ambitious. He was overconfident. Um, he, he basically, one day they're going through Samaria and Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. And, and they, the Samaritans didn't treat Jesus the way they thought they should. So James and John, his brother, decided that they were going to take care of the Samaritans once and for all. And they looked at Jesus instead of loving the Samaritans like Jesus would. They looked at Jesus and this is what they they say, they say, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on them? Like Elijah? I mean, think about these guys. They're like, let's just smoke them, Jesus. Let's just take them out. <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, idiot. And he didn't say that, but so he had to be like, oh my gosh. He's like, no. He's like, no. And so you go on. And then, and then if this, that wasn't embarrassing enough, then you see them, James and John, getting their mother to come and ask Jesus, like, you don't do this. This is a grown man. Got his mom, his mama to come and ask Jesus if they could sit at the seat in the seats of honor in Jesus's kingdom. And Jesus is like, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. You got two boys that you need to take them home and beat them senseless because they are out of line. And, and, and you see James and John both were these zealous, thunderous, passionate, fervent, ambitious people. The only thing I would say to add to John is that he was somewhat of an elitist. If you remember in Mark chapter nine, verse 38, um, when these people were doing ministry in Jesus's name, um, the Bible tells us that John saw him and he said that he saw a man driving out demons in the name of Jesus and we told him to stop. Well, why was, did he tell him to stop? Simply because they weren't a part of their group. He's like, if you're not a part of our group, then you don't get to do this stuff. You don't get to cast out demons. You don't get to heal people, right? And so he, he didn't want them doing these things. So you see, he's even somewhat of an elitist. The thing about John though, is he loved Jesus so much that he was eventually boiled in hot oil but didn't die. Like, you ever just got a little bit of candle wax on your finger? Like, from a birthday cake, you had to have that ice cream, I mean, uh, icing off of the birthday cake. And so you got that. How bad did that burn? Think about being in a whole thing of oil. It didn't kill him, so then they exiled him to the island of Patmos, where he eventually died. Then you got Philip. Philip was somewhat like Andrew, but with a pessimistic attitude. I want you to think about Philip, and I want you to think about the guy who was always counting numbers and calculating things. He was very quiet. He, he, he worked behind the scenes, but he was the one that when they, they had the fish and loaves, he was the one that was like, how are we ever going to feed all these people, Jesus? And he was always the one who, when everybody else might be stepping out in faith, he was over there calculating, trying to figure out if it would work or not, right? He was trying to think about it. He was the administrator of the group. He was the one setting up the meals and the logistics. Then you get to Nathaniel or Bartholomew. The thing about him is he loved knowledge and he loved about the scriptures and he loved truth. But he also was prejudiced um, it, for, because when Jesus comes on the scene and um, they go and tell uh, Nathaniel or Bartholomew that, that Jesus is here, that the Messiah has come, his remark is, he's from Nazareth. Jesus is from Nazareth. What, can anything good come from Nazareth? So just because of people and where they came from, he had a view of them. So these people were far from perfect. They, they weren't these, these saints that we think about uh, when we read the Bible or when we hear people talk about them. These were ordinary men who just fell in love with and were filled with the power of an extraordinary God. 
The next one's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. People hated Matthew. All the Jews hated Matthew. Why? Because he was a betrayer. He had gone to the Roman government, began to work for the Roman government, and was basically cheating his own people out of money. They hated him. But see, what we see in the calling of Matthew, and what I want some of you to hear today is this, that we're never too far for God to reach out and grab us, and for God to take us and begin to use us for his glory. See, God took a man who was despised by all people, who had basically sold his life out to money, but then he took him, changed his heart, and gave him a purpose so that he eventually wrote the first gospel that we read. And when we begin to see that, we can be encouraged because even our sin um, is, is not so much that God can't overcome it. We just have to be willing to surrender it to him and give him our lives. So we see him called Matthew, who was hated by the Jews. You got Thomas. What do we call Thomas? Anybody? What do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Why? Because when Jesus comes into the upper room, uh, he's not there. And they tell him, we've seen Jesus. And he says, unless I stick my, my hand in his side, I'll not believe it. Right? And so we call him Doubting Thomas. When Jesus was going back to Bethany to heal Lazarus, you remember Lazarus died. Jesus was going back to Bethany to heal him. They'd already tried to stone Jesus um, there. And, and all the disciples are, are there. And, and that he decides to go back. And they kind of try to talk him out of it. And then Thomas is like, well, let's just go with him. We'll just die with him. Right? It's like, like, he's just like, let's charge, right? He's like, let's just go die. And so he goes, but at least it was a courageous pessimism, right? I mean, he was pessimistic, but at least he was like, let's go. And so he went. And so you see that he was the one who was really doubting at a lot of times. You see James, the lesser, this poor guy, the reason they call him the lesser is because we don't know anything else about him. All we know is his name really. And the fact that he did end up going out and sharing the gospel. Um, you got Judas, the son of James. He was also nicknamed Thaddeus and Labaius. Now think about this. You might have had a bad nickname growing up, but at least it wasn't these. Thaddeus means breast child. Labaius means heart child. Basically what they were saying is, hey, mama's boy, come here. That's basically what this amounts to. And so you got Thaddeus, this tender-hearted, gentle, meek guy who ended up being clubbed to death because of his faith. Then you got Simon the Zealot. I could probably sort of uh, understand this guy. Um, he, he was very zealous, um, even to the point where he was politically motivated. Um, and, and so he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He literally wanted to take the Roman government down. Um, if it was violence that, that it took, that's fine. These people were known, the zealots were known for carrying small daggers so that in crowds they could walk up and stab a Roman soldier or, or anybody um, who was affiliated with Rome and kill them. Someone like Matthew, right? And so then you go on and the last one is Judas Iscariot, who we're not going to spend any time on really because um, he didn't really do anything other than betray the son of God. Um, not really well known for anything other than greed and materialism and um, selling out the son of God. So he did play a part in this by selling out Jesus and fulfilling the scripture. But the thing we need to realize, he really didn't carry the gospel anywhere because he hung himself and ended up dying. And so we see these guys. The thing I want you to see though, folks, is this, how different were these guys? They were all so different. And when we come to church, there are people from different backgrounds. There are people um, who've come from different places. There are people with different experiences. There's even people in here today who have differing theological opinions. But see, here's the thing that God does. He takes all of us who are so different and he gives us a great common purpose. He gives us a great message. And then he fills us with his spirit, unifies us, and he sends us out to do a great work. And this is what I want you to see happens with these people. This is the thing I would tell you. If God can do it with them, he can do it with us. And that's what God desires to do. But there's some things that we need to begin to see. And I want you to understand how different they were. There were so many things that could have separated them. 
We need to understand that even their method of ministry could have separated them. Think about if you've got um, Peter and John who are proclaiming the gospel. They're out and they're loud and they're um, preaching it to thousands at a time and and seeing people being saved. But then you've got Andrew and Philip who are the ones who say, well, we ought to go get them one at a time. And I see churches even fight over this where it's our, let's equip the people to go out and reach folks. And then you say, well, let's, let's, let's invite them in and let's pay this guy to preach the gospel to them. And so you've got these two philosophies of the individual going and reaching the individual or do we bring them in and let this this professional speaker guy talk to them and people say which one is it and this is my answer yes yes what do we do we preach to you and you go preach to them and then you bring them and we preach to them and we've had people leave the church and get saved at lunch i don't care how they get saved or what method it is as long as they're coming to know christ it doesn't matter if it's here out there we need to be doing both we need to be going the personalities were different. Think about the loud, boisterous person versus the quiet, reflective person. How many of you would char- characterize yourself as kind of loud, you know, kind of boisterous? You like to talk. Raise your hand. It's okay. I'm one of them. You haven't figured that out yet. I'm one of them. It's okay. How many of you say you're quiet and kind of reserved and you're kind of to yourself? And let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand for this one. But how many of you, if you're the quiet person, does the loud person get on your nerves? Right? See, they're going to they're gonna have a fist fight. And then, listen though, listen, if you're the quiet person, how much does the loud, loud person go to your, but also if you're the loud person, how much does the quiet person not talking bother you? Yeah. And so it's one of those things where even our personalities can conflict in, in ways that, that drive us crazy. It's like when you get married and, and, and you think everything's going to be perfect and then little things begin to bother you like your spouse breathing. I mean, it just begins to bother you and gets on your nerves or, or, or like clanking the cereal bowl. Y'all have heard me talk about that before. My wife loves to chew ice and man, we're riding down the road. She's like, I'm going in the time saver. She's like, will you get me a cup of ice? I'm like, no, I won't get you a cup of ice. You want a cup of ice or you want to be married because that thing is going to drive me crazy, Right. And so we're different. We're very different. Our personalities are different. People like different things. Um, Listen, these guys could have been split over ambition and passion. Think about the difference in Peter and Thomas. Peter's like, let's just jump on the water and run, right? And Thomas is over there going, I don't think we can do that. You know, and Peter's wanting to go 100 miles an hour. And Thomas is looking at everybody going, I just think we're all going to die. You know, and then, and then you, you look at um, even more than that, the, the Peter, Peter versus Philip. Peter's like, we can walk on water because Jesus is God. And then Philip's over there going, I just don't think we have the buoyancy to be able to do that, Peter. <laughs> right? And so he's trying to, man, they would get on each other's nerves terribly. And then think about their past. Think about where they've come from. This is the one that blows me away. Think about Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Matthew was a betrayer of the Jews. He hated, um, um, he, 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 he had gone to be this person who they all hated, right? And so um, Simon was the one he wanted to throw over, overthrow the government. See, Matthew was one of the people that Simon would have stuck the dagger in. And so we see this and somehow these guys got along. I don't know, but like if I'm Matthew, if we sit down to eat some lamb chops or whatever they ate at dinner, I don't want Simon the zealot with a knife. You know what I'm saying? He's like coming at you, trying to stick it in your throat. But somehow all these guys got along. They all, they all found something that bound them together. They were so, so very different. 
But see, the things that bound them together are the same things that bind us together. It's the same things that allow us to overcome our offenses. It's the same things that allow us to to recognize, listen, that if Jesus forgave me of all that he's forgiven me of, how could I hold anything against someone else? See, there's this lie that we buy into that if somehow we hold a grudge, we don't forgive, uh, we just separate ourselves from people, that somehow it punishes them. But don't you know that when you won't let go of bitterness, you won't let go of unforgiveness, and you hold on to things, and you're like, oh, my anger keeps me warm at night. You ever heard people say that? I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And you won't let go of those things. Man, the only person that's hurting is you. The times I've had bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart, and I've been trying to to just hold on to things and somehow punishing them. You know who was laying awake at night? Me. They weren't worried about me. And so we need to realize that we, we find something that's bigger than us and it, it, it allows us to see. And when Jesus forgives us of so much, how can we not forgive other people? I know that people have been hurt in very bad ways and yet The power of the gospel is even powerful enough to begin to change our hearts so that we can walk in freedom of these things. I want you to see some things today that that allowed these 12 men to be, or really 11 men, eventually Paul um, became a huge part of this as well, but they allowed these men who are so very different to carry this message to the world. They allowed them to become, these, these, these 11, 12 people really began to change the entire face of the earth. So much so that the church went from 12 to 120 at the very beginning of Acts to over 20,000 in almost no time of people who were worshiping Jesus. Um, here's the thing that I want you to see. The first one is this, that they were convinced that the message was vital. They were convinced that the message was vital. They knew that this message has to go out. We've got to get this message out to people. I mean, think about John 3, 16, when Jesus tells this. He says that, you know, that, um, wow, that's an important verse. He says that God sent his only son so that he who believes in him would not, uh, gosh. He sent his one and only son. So whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, right? Yeah. Most people know that one, right? And, and, and it's important, but, but the point of the fact is that when Jesus says this, when he tells us this scripture, when, when we read this, we need to understand that it's important, that it's through him that we have everlasting life. When we get to John 14, 6, I'm not going to screw this one up. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bam, right? <laughs> and so we see this. We understand this. We see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus tells them to go out and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all the things that he taught. And so we see that he's called us to carry this message to the world. In Acts 1.8, right before he's ascended into heaven, after he's died, he's been crucified for our sins. He, he rises again. He's about to go to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He tells the disciples that they should wait in Jerusalem until they receive power. And when they receive this power, they're going to go and they're going to be his witnesses into all the world. Into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we see that he's called us to be witnesses. He's called us to go and testify. But see, here's the thing that happened with these disciples these early disciples, they were convinced about the, 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 how vital this message was. They knew this message is vital. They knew how vital that message had been to them. 
And so they knew if it's vital to us and it is necessary so that we could have come into this relationship, then it's necessary so that all people can come into this relationship. And even greater than that, they knew if this message and this power is able to save us, there's no one else out there that cannot be saved. And that's what they began to do is proclaim this message so much so that out of all of them, the only one who did not die a martyr's death was John, but he ended up dying in exile. So here we go. The second one is this. They knew, one, they knew that the message was vital. Two, they knew that their participation was vital. They knew, listen, God doesn't have to have us but, and use us, but he chooses to use us. It's a great privilege. And our role in this is vital. It's easy to sit, and, and as Michael mentioned, it's easy to be a spectator or an observer, but we're called to engage into the mission. We're called to be a part of it. We're called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're called to take our role seriously and understand that God has called each one of us. See, you're, you weren't called here to, to go to Georgia Southern just to get a degree. You were called here, and it was a divine appointment that you're here, and you're, you're here today because God wants you to understand that you're called to a bigger purpose and just spending four, maybe six years getting a degree. You're called to borrow your here to make an impact, to get involved. Now see, I want, I want to say this real quick too. For many people, you've come back in and your intention as a new school year started, whether you're a family and you're here, whether you're a college student and you're here, and you have good intentions about getting back going with church because during the summer we get very scattered. You have good intentions, but see, here's the thing that you've got to do now. Now you've got to get yourself in a position so that you can continue to do that. See, we can't do life alone. We can't just, we're, no one's called to be the lone ranger, uh, you know, with Jesus. We're all called to do this together. That's why I want to encourage you. Get involved serving. I want to encourage you. Get involved in a small group. I want you to get with other people who are going the same direction you are. Establish some strong relationships with other believers so that you can walk together and doing the things that God's called you to do because none of us can do it by ourselves. And I want you to make relationships and connections with people. And the Bible tells us that the message is vital, that our participation is vital. But my individual participation is not separate from the community's participation. It's all, it all works together. The third one is this, that they knew the power of the Holy Spirit was vital. So they knew that the message was vital. They knew that their role was vital. And they knew they couldn't do it in their own strength. They knew it was going to take a lot. They knew they had to stay connected to Jesus. See, Jesus was our example. He stayed connected to the Father. And the Father worked in him and through him so that he could do the things that he did. And then we need to see this. If Jesus had to pray, he had to be connected to God. He had to, he had to walk in close fellowship with the Father. How much more so for us? See, we can't do this on our own. That's why Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until power has come upon you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can do the things that we're called to do. See, listen, this this was not a perfect church. There were divisions in Acts chapter 6. You can go read about it. The church almost split over um, people getting the the right portions of food. Uh, This wasn't a perfect church. I mean, you see where Paul actually comes later in Galatians chapter 2 and rebukes Peter because Peter wouldn't eat with Gentiles or non-Jews. So he says, like, listen, what you're doing is wrong. You need, to, you need to repent and you need to quit your hypocrisy and you need to be willing to eat with all the people and not separate yourself out. You see, in, in the early parts when Jesus is, is teaching them about the kingdom, they're fighting over who's the greatest. But see, there was something greater that they fought for and that was unity. 
Even when things weren't perfect, when they had disagreements, there was something bigger that held them together. And I want you to understand this. Every one of us has a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Who do you think put that there? God. And I can tell you what it is, is his kingdom. It's a kingdom purpose. So we serve each other. But even probably more important than that, we're serving um, the community. The community when they come in, but the community that's out there as well. Finding ways to serve, finding ways to be the hands and feet of Christ and proclaiming the message that's changed our heart if we're a believer. That's made a difference in our lives. And I want you to see, this is so, so important. In those days when a rabbi was teaching, when he was, um, when he had disciples, see, those, he didn't go to the disciples and ask them to follow him. The disciples came to him and said, can I follow you? And if he thought that they were worthy and would be good disciples, then he would say, yes, you can follow. How awesome is it that Jesus goes to these ordinary sinful men and invites them to follow him? That he initiated the relationship because he loves us that much. And that he looked into their lives and he looks into our lives and he sees something of value that's worth redeeming because of his love for us. And he sees something that can be redeemed and used for his glory. He sees a potential, he sees a purpose, and he's calling us to himself. He's calling us to forgiveness. He's calling us to redemption. He's calling us to his grace, his mercy. He's calling us to obedience. He's calling us to his lordship. He's calling us out of our old dead way of living and following after things that cannot produce what we want them to produce to a new life-giving way going from death to life and following him and living close to him and finding a power in us that even when the storms come we know we're going to come out on the other side that's what God's calling us out he's calling us to and we need to see this that he came and initiated that with us he's initiating that with some of you today calling us I was thinking about it like this and a few weeks ago, I used a quilt as an illustration. This is actually one that my mom and grandma made. And, and this quilt, it's got all these different patches of cloth. And you know, I talked about how Jesus isn't a patch in our life. He's the thread that holds all the patches together. In our individual life, he is that thread that holds all the patches together. But as I was preparing this message, I began to see something else in this quilt. It not only speaks of our relationship to God, it speaks to our relationship with each other. Because as each individual patch, it represents each one of us. We're also held together by Jesus, by his spirit, together. And see, here's the crazy thing. I was asking my mom how they made this. And they said what they did was they took old dresses and they took old shirts and different things like that. And, and they just took them and they would cut pieces out and they would make this piece of uh, this blanket, this quilt. And so they would take all of these different pieces that were no good, right? That didn't have any value anymore, that had been used up, that were done, and they took it and they made something really beautiful. And I thought about what greater picture of the the biblical community of the church than that. That Jesus takes a bunch of people who in and of themselves may not have a whole lot that they can offer. People who made mistakes, who've been beat up, who've been beat down, even by the church, who who maybe um, we're not going the direction we need to go. But then God taps us on the shoulder. We turn around and begin to go a different direction. And he takes all these pieces that so many people might look at and say are no good, are washed up 
up are done and he takes them and he sends Jesus to redeem us and give us his righteousness and then he puts us together into this tapestry that the world can look at as we're being the hands and feet of Christ and go there's something divine and there's something beautiful about that group of people because God redeems us and he uses us and he takes things that nobody else may see value in and he uses them. He can take a roofer and put him on a stage to preach like he did with me. He can take you and put you maybe behind the scenes serving others. Maybe it's going to nursing homes. I don't know what it is, but what God puts in your heart, do. And let's do this together and let's go into the community and let's watch Jesus turn this place upside down. Let's don't stop. Today, right now, we're about to do something that... um, represents the community of believers it it represents both aspects of this quilt it represents the vertical relationship we're about to take communion and see when we celebrate communion it represents this vertical relationship we have with God it represents that we take the body of Jesus and that, 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 that the body that took our sin upon it and that was punished for us that so that we could have the verse in Romans 8 1 that we love so much that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus he took that sin and he punished that sin in himself. And he took his, his, his body and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. That he became that final sacrifice for sin. So much so, that on the cross he said it is finished. What was finished? Everything that needed to be taken care of so that you and I could simply come to faith in him and be reunited with God. But it also represents the other aspect of Jesus holding us together. See, we're one body. And Jesus, on the night that he, he, he was arrested and he gave himself up for us, he took that bread that he was holding and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. Take it and eat it. Then he took, and he took the cup that had the wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he blessed that cup. And he told him, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing today. We're recognizing that God's called us into a relationship with himself. And he's called us into a relationship with each other that makes us a community of believers to go out and begin to transform the world. The first thing we have to do is we've got to get the vertical relationship right. And this is what I want to ask you today is that you, maybe you've never um, accepted Christ as your savior. Maybe you've never come to a relationship with him. But today God's speaking to your heart and you just know that God's calling you into this, calling you into forgiveness, calling you into his lordship where you leave this old life that offers you nothing behind to pursue him. Today, if he's doing that, we want to give you this opportunity simply to accept his invitation. Remember, he initiates it. He came here today. He is speaking today so that you can say yes to life and go from death to life. So here's the question, here's the opportunity. Before we take communion as a body of believers, you're here today and you say, yeah, I know, I need that. I need Jesus. I don't have that relationship with God. I never have, but today I want that. This is what I want you to do. I want you, I'm gonna ask you to be bold so I can see you, so we can celebrate. I wanna ask you to stand to your feet. Would you stand up? I guarantee you're not the only one. If you're here today and you would say, yes, I need this relationship with God. I'm gonna ask you just to be bold, stand to your feet how we do it we celebrate it it's a great thing all right and for the rest of us i want us just to take a second and i want us to examine our hearts the bible says that before we take communion we should examine our hearts let's get that relationship wrong maybe there's something that's blocking that for you but let's just take a minute and let's pray um, silently 
allow God to speak to your heart. What is it that's hindering you from God? Maybe it is forgiving someone else. Maybe it's something that you need to get straight with Him. who are helping serve communion if you would come and get the elements listen we're going to come and we're going to share in the body and the blood bread symbolizing his body the juice is grape juice symbolizing the blood here we take the bread and we dip it into the juice and we eat it you pop the bread in your mouth before you dip it just get another piece don't take it out and stick it back in there but as we come let's, let's continue to examine our hearts let's continue Allow God to speak to our hearts. I'm going to pray as they get in position. After I pray, let's all come out. You'll have somebody in front of each station or each section. You come out to your left and just come back around. If you want to kneel here and pray, um, you can do that. Uh, But let's just take this time as a time of reverence that we can uh, just enjoy God and allow Him to speak to our hearts this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity we have. Thank you that you made a way for us, God. Your word says that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn, symbolizing that now we can come into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. Thank you, Lord, that you took our sin. Thank you that you sacrificed um, for our sin, that we could uh, come to know you and be in a relationship with you. God, I pray that um, our lives would be uh, not just uh, in part yours, but that they would be wholly yours, that you would have everything, that nothing would, uh, we would not lay claim to anything. God, examine our hearts, speak to us, search us and know us in this time right now. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray.